<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode of... Our Greatest Hits, part one. Hey, Dadville peeps. Look, John, would you look at how tan and oh, happy I'm, everybody is I'm up there? I'm looking. Yeah. Everyone looks great. It's it's really, everybody's glistening. Their teeth are just on set to stun. Everyone's skin is just <laughs> golden, golden. Golden. <laughs> golden. Uh, we're obviously thrilled all of you are here. It looks like you guys are happy to be too, which means a lot to us. Uh, we also wanted to kind of pop in and explain what's going on this week on Dadville. So we're going to take a little break so that we can spend the last couple of weeks of summer with our families. You know, I'm yep. going to be with my family. You yeah, that's be with you. I was assuming that. Uh, but while we're on a break, we wanted to ask you to do a little work for us, if it's okay. So little, a little. Let's don't call it work. Yeah. Let's uh, call it a laborious <laughs> vacation. <laughs> uh, let's call it like camp, but like a labor camp. <laughs> oh my gosh, welcome to Dad. <laughs> so we've put together a survey where you can give us some feedback on your thoughts on Dadville. Yeah. So we always want to make Dadville the best possible place for our residents you know guys we want to put up some parks we want to put up some swimming pools public swimming pools we want Bus to put stops yes yeah bike trails uh canned goods stations yes wrestling golf courses things like that <laughs> so if you'll leave your comments in the comments box that helps us with these things we hugely appreciate it so look for the link 
for this survey in the episode description. It's probably a place that maybe you've never gone to yeah, before. Yeah, it's so but it's fun there. down there, guys. It's always there for <laughs> oh. you. <laughs> They're always <laughs> raving in there. And, of course, we're going to have this on the Dadville social media pages. We'll yep. probably put it on our own social media yeah, pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can find us on pretty much any social media platform at Dadville Podcast, except no, for no, TikTok. We're not doing TikTok. Yeah, we don't understand that TikTok. Is a, that we're scared is a, of it. I'm terrified of TikTok. Uh, but okay, so back to Dadville and your listening experience. We have two weeks of special episodes coming for you. <laughs> Why? Because we love you. <laughs> and they're starting this week. We're going to revisit a few of our favorite conversations from previous episodes. Now listen, this is tough because I, yeah. I don't want anyone to, to get offended. Yeah, there's too much good stuff. There's out too there. much, and I'm sure you, the, everyone's thinking, "How are they going to do this? How e- in the world? Every with single so episode much. is a knock out of the park. With every episode being a ten out of ten, right? How do you pick that? Right. So if you're a diehard Dad Villier, ooh, is it Dad Villier? Dad Villier. Dad Villain. Dad Villain. Dad Villain. Oh my God! Oh man, dum, get dum, the merch, dum, people, ready. Dot com. Uh, You've probably heard these conversations before. Yeah. Of course. But they're still as great as the first time you listened. And maybe they're even better. Yeah. Maybe they're, they're layered. Like we, we operate at, a, at a, a level where, yeah, you listen the first time. Sure. Are you laughing? Yes. Are you crying? Are you learning? <laughs> yes. Of course. <laughs> it's that, Phil. You listen again. Are you angry? Yeah, maybe. 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 Then you listen a third time. <laughs> are you bored? <laughs> <laughs> or is it the sweet spot? <laughs> you know that's what we in the biz call the sweet spot um you're, you're gonna listen again yeah. you're gonna hear different things than you heard the first time yep but if you've moved into dadville uh recently you know some of these conversations are yes, gonna be they, new and they're yeah. gonna be exciting and they're yep. gonna be fresh and joyful because it's, it's, it's hard to catch there's a lot to catch up on and so this a is lot. kind of a great way to sort of welcome you to the town and sort of say here's sort of some clips of what's going on here you know we hope you enjoy your stay uh on this episode particularly we are we've Revisiting, we're also Riviva, like I just said, and revisiting our conversation. R- 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 revisiting, <laughs> revisiting uh, our conversation. That was, that was pretty that good. Was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that felt really good when I got done with Tyler Hubbard uh, from the megastar country band Florida Georgia Line. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we dig deep into the line between Florida and Georgia. All right, now we're officially in the dad. We're in Dadville now. Dad mode. Yeah, dad mode. We're in dad, dad mode. mode. So. First off, I have a Luca and a Liv. What? And you have a Luca and a Liv. That's right. right. Do you call her Liv? Yeah. Yeah? So we That's have cool. Luca wow. and Livy. Um, That's awesome. You were just such fans of you guys. Were huge. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Name our kids after y'all's kids. <laughs> but yeah. before they... You well, we changed it. There was a lot of paperwork, but <laughs> yeah, we got yeah, it done. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when Amy and I... Luca is about to turn seven. So when, when Amy and I had Luca, we still lived in Indiana. And I remember thinking, like, I will never tour again. Like, I'm holding my newborn baby girl, and I'm like, I got to figure something else out. Because I can't, up until that point, that's been our bread and butter, like me going on the road. And and Amy had actually toured with me um, up until that point. So that's kind of what, what brought us down here to Nashville, is I was thinking, I'll just have to, I'm going to write songs for other artists. I can never leave again. Yeah. What was your, your experience like? Um, huh. Did you have any kind of like that, but kind of like I'm ready for Friday to get here so I can leave. <laughs> oh no, I'm just, <laughs> I, but for real, let's be honest here. But for real. No, it, it, it just definitely adds another element of 
you know, when we're away of of me missing being home. You know, it's it was before it was I missed Haley pretty badly and a lot of times she could come out on the road and a lot of times we're really fortunate now because we can bring the kids and the name we have our own bus so we can uh-huh. we can just you know <laughs> we can all load up if we want to and hit the road for the weekend and it's it's amazing but a lot of times for me now it's a good healthy balance to be on the road for two or three days mm-hmm. yeah uh, occasionally just by myself it's a challenge for me i love to be around people they charge me and i'm you know it's hard for me to be alone so it's good for me to say, babe, I'm going to be, you know, I'll be home Sunday and I'm going to have two days on the road and, and let you have two days here by, you know, at the house. Um, but it is tough, man. It does add another element. I miss them like crazy and it's so much more fun when they can be out there. Um, and I do think just a different perspective. I mean, I never had the thought of I can't ever leave again for sure. Um, but it was it was that perspective shift like it wasn't all about yeah. touring it wasn't all about mm-hmm. fjl it definitely wasn't all about myself right. anymore yeah. it was more like this is i'm leaving the house more to raise for my daughter now and my son and my family and this is hopefully going to put them through school and as opposed to this is going to hopefully buy buy a boat or something you know right. what i mean right. it's like right. so it's it's been really fun man it's yeah it's interesting chapter. how it can like at the same time give so much more meaning to it and simultaneously make it painful now yeah totally totally well you know too and i think that's one of the things that's so interesting about when you're in a you know one of the things that the country music world does so well to me is tour i mean it's like they they, they've got that on the grid and it's on lockdown and so i would imagine that you can't like you've got rhythms you and hey y'all have rhythms in your life like that you live in and live by and you get used to and your marriage kind of works in some ways because of these rhythms. Totally. So I would imagine it would it would make all the sense in the world to me that you have this baby and you're going, Yes, I want to be here, but like at the same time, like we have this way right. we live. We got and the I rhythm. can't suddenly yeah, we have the rhythm and you can't just chuck, you know, like no, I'm just going to be home all year. Right. I mean, it's probably drive her crazy exactly. if I was home all exactly. the time. Exactly. Because you sort of build your relationship on the rhythms. Right. Like you, sometimes. And we you, have two rhythms. It's a, like y'all know, it's a, it's a tour season rhythm and then an off tour exactly rhythm. That's exactly right. Yeah. We're in the middle of tour when we just had Luca. So it was like, yeah, like you said, like, all right, let's just keep the We felt like he was born and we literally just kept, kept going. I mean, for the most part, you know, other than. I mean, Haley's life was already consumed with being pregnant and baby, you know, baby life. But yeah, for us as a couple, it was just kind of to keep the rhythm going and yeah, maintaining. We got like another two or three weeks to go and our tour's over, but we, uh, you know, he came right in the middle of the tour. So we just kind of kept rocking. Did you, now that you've had, especially with two, cause there were three of y'all, are there ways when you think about your dad that you can see you picked like from funny things to annoying things to wonderful things. Like, do you see the things that you've picked up and how you father your kids? Yeah, totally, man. That's wild. Isn't it? That, that, I mean, yeah, all the time I catch myself being like, well, that was a dad move (laughs) (laughs) or that was what my dad would have done or whatever. And it's also interesting that I think about often because I have to, I can't really compare the two because you know, my dad's life was so different than ours. You know what I mean? Mm. He was making ends meet. And he was working, left the house at 7.30 and came home at darker after. You know wow. what I mean? And not that it was a bad, I didn't feel neglect from that necessarily, but for me, it's just different. Like, mm. you know, Monday through Wednesday, I'm, I have You're the here. potential to be home and present and with the kids all day. If yep. I, you know, if I'm yep. not writing or yep. if I'm not, I usually don't do that, unfortunately, because I, you know, but I do try to say, well, I'm going to be very present and not have my phone with me until after breakfast mm-hmm. or then or after dinner i'm going to mm-hmm. be present and mm-hmm. put my phone away as opposed to 
you know, a lot of times in my in my growing up in my house, it was more of the, you know, the dad's working, the mom's at home mm-hmm. doing the thing, and it's just how it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of times it's, it does take a little bit of adjusting and realize, hey, like we just don't live the the life that I lived growing up. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So. You know, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was supposed to go to the, I had already told Haley I wanted to, and I put it in the calendar, I told her to put it in the calendar, which means it's official. It's yeah, happened, yeah, that's right? it. It's done. So, and then I completely, I was, my right got pushed back that day, and Haley calls me about halfway through the ride. She goes, hey, where are you at? I go, well, I'm, I'm writing. What's up? She goes, I thought you were going to come to the doctor's office. It's Luca's first appointment, da 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 at the doctor. And I go, Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't. I can't make it. I'm in the middle of a ride. I I forgot about it or whatever. And I think even those little things, like I didn't grow up with my dad going to the yeah, doctor's right, appointments with right, me because that right, was just right. it was the middle of the day, and right. that's what we did with mom. That's you know? right. So for us, I just think little dynamic things like that. It's like, oh, I could have totally been there for my wife and my kids. I just what I just didn't fully think that one through. You know what I mean? Mm, like totally. And it didn't feel like the the necessary uh expectation i guess if you will but yeah but in our life it can be you know so i don't know just adjusting to that it's so weird to me i mean i think all three of us can relate this like what we do for none of us is in the pedigree like my family didn't have this john's didn't yours didn't so you're not only creating a rhythm in a life that you aren't used to but your family isn't used to right which is okay you know but you don't have anything to base it off of. So there's right. no sense of like, you know, seeing my dad be a singer-songwriter, I, okay, this is how he did this. I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. Right. <laughs> but you also, like, you know, I think we've all done better than our parents have, which is a real blessing. But then that's a whole other set of new problems. Because oh, yeah. you're like... <laughs> I mean, that's what I would say is one of my constant struggles. As currently in my life, as a dad, as a husband, because... I had a similar upbringing. You know, my dad would leave for a long time. He would leave Monday morning and he would get home Friday night and he was flying all over, you know, doing more traditional just work, like work that like at the end of the day, like you punch a clock and right. you're done. You can be off work too. It's... And now you're off work, <laughs> right. you know. And so I've really, it's been hard for me to kind of just exist in the life that I have right now and not feel like on some level, this weird kind of guilt for like, I'm constantly feeling like I'm not working hard enough right? all the time. Right. And even though my wife, if she were here, she would be like, John works very hard right? because she knows the times that I'm working and the sacrifices affect her. But you know, that's something that I deal with. And I think Dave, what you're kind of illustrating is the reason why that yeah. situation I don't know if that's I always something feel that, that too. With. Yeah, you do. yeah, totally. It doesn't matter how many thousands of people are in that nope. venue, or how many records, or how many stats Dave reads to me, or whatever. It's like <laughs> I still gotta go to work, or I'm gonna get outworked. I don't want to get mm-hmm. outworked. You yeah, know what I mean. And I don't know. Maybe that was that was definitely a good thing that was instilled in me at, at a young age. But now, at, at a little older, it's like okay, I gotta still find balance. Like I yeah. do, I do work hard enough. I do deserve an off day. I do deserve to relax, and sometimes I have to make myself do. Just it call, I, if right. you ever need that, call me. I'll read that to you. Yeah, thanks. Just be like, Dad, I'm in a, I'm in a bad head. Well, we've got it recorded. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's right. I'll just go back so, and visit. So this. one of the things that we're gonna skip just a second because I think this is kind of what we're talking about. I, one of the things that I'd love to hear, really, both of y'all speak to is like, you know, you grew up in middle class families, 
like we did. I mean, I would argue maybe while we lived in Mississippi, we might have been like lower middle class, but my dad was a preacher and I think, you know, there's sometimes I wonder if he was selling drugs on the side to make me, but, um, <laughs> but like, it's such an interesting thing, which y'all both spoke to a minute ago, but you enter into this sort of new, where you start having success and, and, you know, like you start making some money and the paradigm that you were expecting, which was like hustle, make ends meet, get the kids through school, get them through college, get some retirement, you know, whatever it was. Like you start going like, Hey, this is like kind of happening. Yeah. You know, and much earlier than I suspected oh, yeah. it too. How, how have you seen that affect just uh, parent? Am I supposed to retire now? Is this, <laughs> what is this it? <laughs> I think that paragraph ends with, and now that he's living on the beach with his family, he does open mic he's gigs 32 for fun. And never working yeah, again. Never working again. But like, how have you seen that affect just the parenting part of your life? Like, I mean, yours is such a great example of this. You had a dad that was hustling. He was out there making it happen. You knew, I mean, I felt this way, John. And I talk about it. I never had to doubt where we were financially. Not mm-hmm. that, but you know, like there was, it was really common for me to go somewhere and go, I want that mom be like, Hey honey, like right. I'm so, we can't afford it. And she meant that. Right. And I knew she meant it. Yeah. I never had to be like, okay. Yeah. But uh, how my how, kid's going to be like, yeah, right. Dad. <laughs> you just want a motorcycle. <laughs> I know you just bought that toy off Amazon. Don't lie to me. <laughs> But like, you got three motorcycles how, in the garage. How, that's right. How are like how are, have y'all gotten that thing where y'all are trying to figure that out? Like how are y'all navigating that from what you grew up with? Yeah, that's to a, now where you are. I think about that a lot. We talk about that, you know, with Haley. It's like, man, I, I don't want to raise rich kids. Yeah, I yeah, don't want to yeah, raise exactly. spoiled right. rich kids. I will go crazy if my right. kids end up this way. Right. But at the same time, like, you know what? We've worked hard for what we have, and I'm not going to sacrifice having my toys so my kids don't. You know what I mean? Like, yo, how are we going to do this? I'm just going to, like, yo, yo, uh, kids, you just, daddy has all these toys, and, and mommy has all these jewels because we worked really hard. Right, and, you right, know, right. Here's a lawnmower. Good right, luck. Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll see, yeah. The neighbors want you to cut the that's grass right. for that's 20 exactly. bucks a yard. Go, that's go right. after Uh I don't know, man. I think that's something we're going to have to just kind of navigate as we get there and cross those, that bridge when we get there because it's it's definitely something that we're conscious of. And I think that's maybe just a key component as as they get older, just trying to be really aware and just realize the things that instill that work ethic and the value of a dollar and, you know, all those things, how to work hard, how to be grateful and thankful for things. And just I think if you just sort of – aware of that throughout the process of raising kids. I'm I'm hoping that some of that will just wear off on them. You know what I mean? And yeah. the yeah. things that dad taught me and the things that he did and just a little, although we're not financially in the same position that I was as a kid, I do feel like we can somewhat set the scene for them to just still be grateful. And I've been encouraged because I know multiple families now as we've had kids and I ask myself, that's one of my probably biggest fears is how do we, how do we manage having kids and raising them the right way with not struggling? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Going on all kinds of cool trips and doing this and having cool experiences and nice food and da 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 and a chef and somebody that helps us do the laundry. Like that didn't have that as a kid. Like how do you not spoil a kid? But I've been encouraged because I know quite a few families that I've run into now that are really successful and well off and have some of the best kids. Wow. That are not that are so grateful and so polite. And, what's the and so what's humble. the consistency there? I don't know. I'm still studying that. So you get back to me. Yeah, I was going to say you need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just great parenting in a sense of being present and reminding the kids like, hey, like even what just just talking to them and helping them understand like all those values and all those things that you 
kind of grew up learning and, and are still kind of learning. Um, well, that, and because I think that's the thing that's so hard to shake is that you can't, your kids are going to know just osmotically growing up and like, oh, we, our house is bigger than that one kid's house we just went to. Or when we go to vacation, we stay in this place. Right. Or So you can't, they're already right. figuring it out. So, so you realize like it really is our job. It's just Even, communication. It's just right? how to tell how them, to communicate how to that. Present how to present it all to them. Um, well, you know, it's something that I've I've literally never thought. And take of a trip to Africa every year just to go, make sure they're good gosh. and hot. For sure. But one thing that I haven't thought about until right now is they are, our kids are going to experience us making these decisions and and living in you know within our means, even if maybe we don't have to. That is something that maybe like like you're saying, Dave, when you were in the store and you asked for that thing, your mom like the decision was already made. Yeah. That wasn't a decision. Yeah, yeah for that, her. that's right. That's right. The books are yeah. the books. Yeah, the books you are know? the books. Yeah. So our kids your kids are gonna see you, you know, living the way that you want them to see you live. Just you to know what just I mean? to piggyback off of that, I feel like it's a cool opportunity to say you know, because maybe my dad didn't want this to be my imprint and the message that was sent to me. But as a kid, I was taught hard work was very important. Probably the number one or two most important things, how hard you work. And then the reason you work is to make money. So my dad spent 12 hours a day pursuing money, not in a bad way because he had to. Yeah. But but fortunately, maybe for us, we can say, hey, kids, look, there's some people that are that have tons of money and have way more money than us. There's some people that have way less money than us. We're really fortunate and blessed because God's given us everything we need, and we've. But because of that, we have to give back. We have mm. to do this. We have to do yeah, that, and teach right. them all the things. And also, can teach them that hey, it's not about money, kids. Like, look, it's about being nice to your neighbor and to be and sharing your toys with your friends and da da da. And hopefully, lead by example in that way and say, look, it's a bigger picture. Like, and Dad taught me that too. But by his actions, it also said, but but I still got to work twelve hours a day to. To pay the yeah. house off, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, or whatever. Totally. And so I think for us, it is a scary thought, but it's also an encouraging, empowering thought too. To be like, hey, just so you know, work hard. You want to, you want to be able to pay your bills and take care of your family and yourself. But that's not what life's all about. I still think the most powerful thing that I find with with people that I know that really do well is there's nothing more powerful to me than when they're really benevolent. Like that is always. It just breaks my brain in half, you know, that, and I love that. And I think it's a lot of times why they tend to do so well is that because they are so others centric and they aren't trying to amass their wealth. They're going like, Hey, how can I help people? And how can I, um, how do you think your dad, if he were still here, how do you think he would think about where you are now? Ooh. I don't know, man. That's, I think about that a lot. I think he would just be like, WTF? You know what I mean? Yes. Like, what yes. happened? <laughs> if he could come back for one day right now and just look at our life um, and just live our life, it'd be crazy. I always dream. I wish he could just take a ride on a tour bus. I uh, think he would just oh, yeah. freak out over that. Um, how how old were you again when he passed? Twenty. So I was a sophomore in college. So it was way before all this. Yeah, yeah. But I was still kind of like at the level that I was in the music, he was a big supporter and like definitely was probably one of my biggest fans, you know? So at times I'm like, man, it'd be so crazy if he could be here for a day. But, um, I think he'd be proud, man, for sure. You know, mm -hmm. I think about that a lot, but he taught me a lot of, a lot of good things that I got to carry on and how to, you know, how to manage all this and how to, you know, keep a good perspective. And I think he'd be pretty pumped. Golly. Yeah. yeah. 
I think it'd be amazing. I I think that's that's one of my favorite things about music is that so many of the the people I know that do it, like that was not their original plan. Right. You know what I mean? Like we all loved it, and even John, you playing piano as long as you played. Um, yeah, there was some thought, but it wasn't like at fifteen if somebody had asked you like, "What are you gonna do when you're right. 30 You'd be like, "Rocking the mic." Yeah. I mean, at that point, it was the NBA. <laughs> what are we NBA. dunking on? I'm yeah. dunking on folks. But, like, I think that's one of my favorite things about what we do is that there is – I mean, I feel that way about myself. I know we've talked about this to you. But, you know, you kind of look up at some point in your life and you go, like, hold on. I'm playing music. Right. That is all that I do. <laughs> if I could go back and talk to my 15-year-old self, he'd be like, so when do you start doing that? Cause I'm not doing right. it right now. Like, yeah. but I think with your dad, it's kind of the same. Like, yeah, he saw you in your interest in music, but to see just where you've been able to go with it right. and sort of him pop up out of nowhere and be like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. He'd trip like out. this is your tour bus and these are your fans. Like, when did you even start? Right. Do you know what I mean? Just the, the way that it's progressed yeah. is just so crazy. I know it really is, man. I think he would be mind blown by that and, and just, by the life that's the the life that's been built and the family and you know I often even think if we could just have a week I'd spend three days just going and playing and saying Dad look at all these toys like if yes. if if he were to be financially in the position that we were in I feel like he would be very similar in the way that he spent his money and stuff yeah. like that so I I don't know I often think about how he would probably just laugh when he if he came back and just looked around and you know we'd probably have to go playing for a few days and riding dirt bikes and stuff but uh. But yeah, man, it's it's really cool. It's it's insane to just kind of soak in that. And every now and then, like almost every weekend, I sit on the Tree Vibes bus and I'm just like, guys, we get to write songs and play shows and just play music, and we're and we're all doing really well. Like yeah. financially, we're not broke. Like I just assumed if you did music, you always kind of yeah, had yeah. to be the broke musician yeah. guy. And that's yeah. what's fine with me. But now that we're all like paying for employees and raising families and taking care of people. It's just incredible, man. I'm so thankful to to be able to do this. What feels like a hobby, you know, yes. it feels yeah. like so much fun. That's like, right. I tell Haley, I'm sorry I work so hard, but I just love it so much. Like, <laughs> yeah, I right. do not want to miss a, a write. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, if my buddies are writing a song, I do not want to miss yeah. it. And I do occasionally when I know it's important and, and sometimes I don't want to miss being home either, but I just love what I do so much that it's hard not to just... You know, do that's it amazing day. that you have that level of passion this at this stage in the game. You know, yeah, that you still well, love it. Well, it so comes much. in waves too. You know, yeah. but I do just. I mean, the fact that anything musical is always fun for me, but definitely the create the creative process and the writing yeah. and the being in the studio with your friends and leaving the studio with a song that wasn't in the universe before. That's you right. Were there. It's yeah. just, that's right. Still pretty much. That's right. When you write a good one. uh that feeling it's almost amazing yeah i always walk away and i'm like you know five hours ago this song did not exist right and now it exists that's a it's, rush it's that we're changing that we're always chasing oh yeah, my like, gosh you know. so you lost your dad in 2007 mm-hmm. is that right and then when did i mean pretty sh- around that same time you met bk yeah yep it's probably around that time i mean we went to a small school so i kind of knew yeah. who he was um, I hung out with a lot of the athletes, even uh-huh. though I didn't play any of the sports. <laughs> but I knew BK, like, briefly through the guys, and he seemed really cool. But uh, it was our senior year where we really started hanging out and realized, man, we wrote a song together, and it was like, it just clicked. And we were like, yo, this is incredible. Let's write another song. And so, yeah, so, yeah senior year, we kind of started yeah. 
dreaming and writing. I, I feel like there are layers to this question, and you answer whatever you feel comfortable answering. But I'm curious what FGL, all the success, was like for your grieving process after losing your dad. And just looking at the timeline, you know, you have your dad, you lose your dad in 2007, and then right around that same time, you have this other guy come into your life who now to millions and millions of people, you, you guys are a duo. You yeah. Know? What is that relationship like? Was there any sense of like, whether it being the success of FGL or BK himself, did any, anything step in and sort of take over for your dad a little bit to fill any of that um, void that was left? Mm. I don't know if it was so much that or if I was just like motivated by losing him. You know what I mean? If I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm going to channel this energy. I don't know about the, I don't think so. I don't think I ever found, I mean, I'm sure music helped fill that void, but it, and I'm sure having a friend like BK did as well. And, but I got a lot of really good friends that, that stepped up, you know, and helped me get through that time. Um, and I think music was a big part, but I also the older I get, the more. And I look back; that was what twelve years ago. Now, I think whatever my personality type is and all that, like when I'm when I'm stressed or or going through something, I usually just work harder. You know what I mean? So I think it at the time was kind of, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, a, a kick in the butt that maybe I needed. You know, and I just put my head down and worked. You know, and worked and worked and worked and probably in a way to honor dad and make him proud. Yeah. I was, you know, probably telling myself and also just that's probably how I dealt with it and kind of avoided the feelings and stuff, you know, right. at the beginning. So it's all been a process of kind of healing through that, but um but I don't know. Was I, I that like was that was, when you met BK was that did that become a part of y'all's communication? I mean, with you having lost your dad, was that something y'all talked about much or was, yeah, 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 I think so. Um a decent amount. I mean, I've always kind of like talked about dad in conversation and stuff like pretty regularly, you know, especially at the beginning. It's like part of my way to heal, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things that breaks my heart the most. Like when success comes, I'm like, man, I wish dad could be here to see oh, this. Or man. like when I met my wife, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish dad could meet Haley or BK yeah. even. It's like yeah. there's people in my life that I'm really close with now that I'm just like, man, I just wish that dad could meet them or they could meet dad. But. You know, it's it's also just part of life, and, you know, I've learned a lot from it and grown a lot and been able to kind of be there for other people that's gone through loss, and, yeah, um, you know, God's kind of used it, and it's just sort of, it is what it is, but I definitely, I definitely miss him a lot still, and those, those times where the, I mean, we've had a lot of great things happen in the last 10 years, and it, every time it's just like, oh, I just want to tear up thinking about yeah. dad, dad not being able to be here, you know? Totally. But, Okay, so you've given us so much time. So we got a couple of last questions we always ask people. What uh, do you love the most about being a dad? Mm, man, there's a lot of things that's incredible about being a dad. I think one of the coolest things is it helps me view life through a, through the eyes of a child, which is really fun. You know, I feel like I was trying to get that back for yeah. the last five years. And, and then having kids, you're like, oh, it's back. Like yeah. I can see life in a more beautiful, colorful, exciting, peaceful, loving way as opposed to, you know, 
<laughs> how we look at it as adults a lot of times, you know, and or how the news portrays life or whatever. So I don't know. It's also just incredible to feel that next level love that you don't even, I don't even think I knew existed, you know, and, and to be able to, to say, wow, like I love my kids as much as I'm sort of understanding how Jesus, you know, how God loves us, mm. you know? And it's like, that's been a cool, so I would say between that and then just the overall perspective, uh, on life and just the getting to see, see life through those eyes, I think it's just a, it's a special thing. And I, at times, I think that's just how God intended it to be. You know, we get to yeah. a certain age, we get a little bit whatever, and then you get renewed and recharged when you have kids, you know? Totally. So what is the thing, would you say, that makes you feel like you're a successful dad? Man, I think right now, especially, it's just making time, putting those kids up there on the, maybe not the tip, tip, top of the priority list, but definitely the top five, you know? And, yeah. and all of us got time in the day to make, time for five things so so yeah just making sure that that you have that time with them because I, I just know already how fast it goes by and how valuable those years are and um you know it's easy for me to get caught up in my own routines and my own I mean busyness of life and career and businesses and all that and I think just remembering to be present and to be there and like I said before, trying to set structure up in your life, whether it's putting it on the calendar or whatever, to to be present, put yeah. your phones away, and just kind of just be yeah. present, man. I think as a kid, like that is just so valuable for the parent to just be there, even if you're just sitting in the floor doing nothing. It's just yeah. they just they just glow, and you can. I, again, it takes me back to when I was a kid and just how cool it was to have 20 minutes to throw the baseball or something with that. You yeah. Know? So I just try to remember that and channel that and. Make time. Yeah. All right, this one's a doozy. Buckle up. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Oh, wow. Which you've, I mean, you've you've done that. I mean, you've been the one, you know, your dad. So I imagine that would. That is tough. I, I think that I would want them to say that I loved people, that I left a, a legacy, and I created something on earth that gave glory to God and also was was something they were proud to say that look what my dad did you know hopefully they can say i was a man of faith and i was a a, a good husband and something they said at my dad's funeral that i've always remembered is they they said that my dad was a people collector oh so he like gosh i mean at his funeral they had to have a they had to have two services one that was in english and one that was in spanish cuz he collected so many people that half the people were Hispanics that worked for him and they couldn't really fully understand English. So they had a whole nother sermon that my was preached by one of my dad's employees who was a pastor as well. And anyways, I just was really inspired by that and thought, man, a collector of people, that's a really cool way to look at life. And, yeah. you know, at times Haley and I look around and we're so thankful. We have so many incredible friends, especially in this town, you know, and all over the country. But I think, man, at the end of the day, at your funeral, like you can't have too many friends. You know what I mean? Like show up for you at the funeral and Yeah. So I don't know. I think it'd be cool if my kids could say that I was a collector of people as well and I feel like I I did get that from dad. I love people and to be around people and I don't know. It's just connection, you know. God, yeah. that that picture of your dad's funeral. That is ma isn't that amazing? Mm. Did you go to both? Yeah, it was back to back. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That it was pretty profound. neat, man. It was cool. It was definitely inspiring. 
Yeah. My dad had a, he had so many Hispanic employees that he, he would always invite them to church on Sunday and they'd, they would always come. But after a while he realized like, all right, we're sitting in church. Like they can't understand a fourth of what the pastor's saying at the speed he's talking and everything. So then he started, like he talked to our church and then he, he was able to get them to, uh, basically okay for him to to start like a hispanic church within our church and they had like a little chapel out in the garden so every sunday they would he would go to spanish church right there in the chapel in the garden of our main church and they'd have 30 or 40 people show up and then they could have their own church you know it's really cool it was man it's it's pretty neat and what a powerful last image yeah you know what i mean like to think that your last time Thinking about your dad and being with your dad was that. That's yeah, incredible. Definitely cool. And I had actually went home from college that weekend that he passed away. And we hung out the night before, which is crazy because we were going to go to the, the Supercross race that we go to every year. So I just happened to be home. It was all kind of a God thing. We got some good time together the night before. And then he passed away in our backyard the next day, obviously unexpected. And, but just to be able to be there and to be with the family and not have to drive from Nashville to Georgia. Mm. And to get time with him. And to yeah. get that time. coming down. Right. Thinking when was the last time yeah. you talked to him. Right. So it was, yeah, there was a lot of God moments, even in the pain, you know, that was kind of like we were grateful for. So. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Yeah. Yikes. Oh, no. Don't August s- is creeping up. Oh, August you know and everything I mean? after, John. Oh, nice reference. Thank you. Responsibility is about to come and knock. I don't want to answer that door. I do not (laughs) want to answer that door knock. You know, I've got another back to school item to add to your to-do list. Okay. What? Have you secured your life insurance yet? How about that little Dave? Shopping for life insurance is overwhelming. Yucky town Jones. I hardly know where to start, you know, but I've heard most people need 10 times more life insurance coverage than they actually get through their employer. Oof. That sounds even more daunting. Yeah, let me tell you something right now, okay? Good thing Policy Genius makes choosing a plan fast and easy. You can compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place in just minutes. Okay, but why compare, though? I was about to say, please ask me why compare. Because you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. That's $1,300 or more per wow. year on life insurance by using Policy Genius just by comparing different policies. Yeah, when who doesn't love saving money? I don't see a hand up in the place, John. You can say that again. Policy Genius has created an award-winning policy rated number one by Forbes that secures coverage for all eligible applicants in a as little as a week by swapping out the standard medical exam requirement for a simple Mm -mm. phone call. Oh, that sounds like a good swap. And that sounds genius too, dare I say. Policy genius. (laughs) Oh, you still got it, John, no matter what anybody says. (laughs) All jokes aside, Johnny, getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com. In no time at all, you can work out exactly how much coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. Okay, wait. What about paperwork? Oh, I knew you were going to ask. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling. Ask, ask me how much. How much? Free. No. <laughs> free dollars and free cents. That's exactly <laughs> right. So just head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Oh, that was such a great conversation with Tyler. What a great chat. We were just chopping it up, as the kids say. His ability to maneuver his success yep. and being a great dad was really impressive. Yeah, it's 
if I'm being honest, a little intimidating. Uh, next on the docket, we are revisiting our interview with John Mark Comer, or as we said in the Comer. Comer. So, guys, John Mark Comer <laughs> is the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. But he is also... Well, fun fact, actually, and, and he's actually stepping down. So this is kind of oh, new yeah. info, yeah. He's he's stepping down to focus solely on speaking and writing, I believe, which is a fun little interesting sort of tidbit. I think yeah. he, he's he's sort of feeling called in a different direction. And maybe if we have him on again sometime soon, wink, wink, wink. maybe he'll talk about that. That guy, is a, he's, he is the king of like just following your heart, following where you think God is leading you and not worrying about like, yeah. The traditional kind of like yeah, that's right. that's rat right. race. That's right. You know, he's also an incredible author. Yep. He's written um, several books that are just amazing and have meant a ton to us. I would go as far as saying for myself, game changer books, truthfully, yeah. you know, like those books you read and you kind of think, well, there was how I lived before I read that book. And then there's <laughs> how I live after I read that right. book, hopefully. <laughs> right. And we talk about this in, in this interview, but yeah, his, his book, Ruthless, the ruthless elimination of hurry is Oof. just, it's got to be top five books that I've read that are like just totally shut everything down. That's in my right. Life, That's right. You know? Yeah. So, so if, if, and, and we said this during the interview too, I think, but if you haven't got that book, pause the podcast, go to Amazon, yeah. order the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. Read it. No, don't read it. Let's finish the podcast. Then right. go read. Well, it's going to take some time to. Well, if you're a speed deliver. reader, maybe I don't know. Like crank it out real quick. Well, I just mean Amazon's. They're not going to be there. You you'll have time to finish. This you episode. never know with the drones. That's true. Depending that, on where, where you live, you'll have time. That, is that their new slogan? Amazon. <laughs> Amazon.com. You, you never, never know, know with the drones. With the drones. <laughs> Keeping up with the droneses. Keeping up with the Oh, my All right, guys. Gosh. So, enough of us. Sit back, enjoy this conversation with John Mark Comer. Is it uh, How We Love? Is that yes. the book? Yes. Yeah, so, so great listen, book. Listening to a – they did a uh, – you can, it's this ran, it feels like old day, old school Napster where you like dig to find a talk, you know, these, that couple, that couple did at a church and my sister found it's on, it's, it's a podcast you can actually listen to, but they, they address how children can go through some of the most gnarly things in the world. And they've seen this in, in, uh, in traumatic and studies around trauma, but as long as someone is sitting down with them and saying, how are you doing? Tell me how you're feeling. It's almost it's it's incredible how much they can synthesize that emotion yes. into a normal and yep. functional thing. Whereas make meaning of it, yeah, discharge yeah. it. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a famous sociologist named James Pennebreaker who conducted with his team one of the first ever like large scale uh, research studies of trauma. And you can read uh, he has a book called Opening Up. That's like his summary of it. But it was really interesting there. He was asking this question, why do some people seem to be destroyed by trauma or traumatic experiences and other people seem to come through, like not unscathed, but come through still healthy and actually often stronger and better in their character? And his theory, like their hypothesis, they went in with a hypothesis and their hypothesis was it's trauma that has a social stigma attached to it. Wow. And shame attached to it. That's what people can't recover. So they, they studied a few things. Specifically, as you would imagine, they studied sexual assault, survivors of sexual assault. And the other thing, this is really interesting, they studied was spouses um, or whose, uh, people whose spouses committed suicide. 
Because they imagine if your spouse committed suicide, there would be probably a social stigma and probably an inner sense of shame that came from that, right? I don't know that from experience, but I could imagine that. They studied those two things, and they basically found that their hypothesis had zero data behind it. It was completely disproven by the research. And they concluded, their conclusion was that the nature of the trauma has almost no bearing on your capacity to recover from the trauma. And they said that almost all people, not all, and so you have to be really careful here because a lot of people, anybody who's listening who experienced assault or really hard things, this is very tender, but almost all people who experience trauma and had what Stolaro calls a relational home, had some kind of a family or a support group or a, a loving parent or somebody to walk with them through, process the pain, discharge the pain, almost all of them made a full emotional recovery. Mm. Wow. Gosh. Now, for those listening who have been through trauma and you are alone and you know that you're living with this open wound and limp, that's where, you know, uh, the Christian tradition has some extraordinary resources to offer and what some call inner healing prayer or the healing of memories, which is kind of like charismatic listening prayer meets deep therapy. And, you know, it's something that we're learning a lot about. I'm doing with people and having done to me where you basically go back and revisit these very painful Mm -hmm. memories, but not just in a therapeutic sense of sitting with a good counselor, which is do that. That's really important. But in like a a very prayerful sense of listening to God and asking God, because it's not the actual experiences that damages that damage us as much as the interpretations of the experience that Mm -hmm. damage us. Yeah. Yeah. And the lies and the narratives that enter into our minds. So maybe there's, you know, sexual assaults are very tender. But let's take something more common. Your parents divorced when you're young. Mm. So a lot of children then somehow begin to believe at an unconscious level, not a conscious level, the lie that my parents' divorce was my fault mm-hmm. or the lie that men can't be trusted because my dad left or women can't be trusted because my mom left or whatever. And if you were to ask them as an intelligent 32-year-old educated parent, do you believe that your wife can't be trusted because your mom left or that you know, you're a bad person and if people actually know who you are, they'll reject you and leave you? They would say, no, I don't believe that because that sounds stupid. But many of, of us actually do believe that. Yeah. There's that Catholic scholar, Michael Novak, who writes about the three levels of belief. You know, mm-hmm. there's public belief, which is what we say we believe. So this is, you know, Harvey Weinstein wearing the pro-women button before two weeks before he was found mm-hmm. out in the Me Too movement. Right. Then there's private belief, which is what we think we believe. Mm-hmm. Then there's our core belief, which is what we actually believe at a subconscious level. But most of the time we don't realize until we experience suffering or loss. And so often our core beliefs are a little hard for us to even see. And in times of suffering, we'll realize, oh, I actually have come to believe this deep lie about my identity, Mm. about who I am before God, about my destiny, about other people. And so whether it's therapy or inner healing prayer or, or, or something, allowing Jesus and his community to help you go back and make meaning of these memories and reinterpret these painful experiences under the love and the light of the spirit of God, that can be transformative for people. Which, yeah. isn't it crazy? I feel like as I get older, the, t- two of the things that become so profound to me in being a Christian, being a believer is, and I've thought about this a lot in the last two or three years, is exactly what you just said, Jesus and his, and his people, Right is yeah. the importance of one scripture, 
right? Because like, how do you know anything if you, if you don't believe that first? So essentially, right. what does God have to say about these things? But then two, and I think what has become more and more profound as I've gotten older is that the body is a huge, is, is central. It's so genius. God's whole yes. thing is so smart because to your point, like when you think about how we get better from trauma, it's, it's healing in a communal sense. And that God mm. is like, yeah, that's my whole, that's the setup. <laughs> it's like people yeah. are the setup. The body is the setup. And yes. so much of the importance is I get older, I realize how thankful and, you know, John and his family are in a church too, but just how, how it goes from being this thing you do, because, you know, you, you go and my dad's a pastor and, you know, you do the thing and it's great. But, man, as you get older, it becomes so necessary. And yeah. I think to navigate, it's the boat we get through the river with. You know, it's yeah. like – and I think I never got that until I started to to get old enough, really in the last two or three years, of going, man, I don't know how you do this without more people. And then I think you double down, which you actually spoke to, I think, maybe in Garden City a little bit about this, but this idea of like – we get so self-centric, you know, and it becomes mm-hmm. we're miserable. And, and, yeah. and I, and I think, man, if there's anything that I look out and see in the world, it's this, um, if you, you know, I know, and I'm fascinated by this whole thing, but you know, the kind of like walking away from the faith and, and, yes. and what you just said to me is a, is a really profound insight into that because it, you know, and it, and it always, it seems to happen with the the people in my world who've, struggle with that it always starts with pain yes, and i think if what always. you just said is true it's because it's the first tell of what the structure is is there really something that that i believed and maybe i didn't believe it like i did because when it yes. comes up against this bigger and stronger force it doesn't seem to stand against that and so i think it's it's really fascinating to me thinking about those things and how especially yes. now how social media, how much we're staring at ourselves and how miserable everybody is that we're the most non-communal in a pseudo communal society. Yes. You feel like you're tethered to everybody it's, because it's, of these you're things. You're not. No, no, no. You know? it's, it, we, we mistake connectivity for community. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. yeah. Very so well said. It's, it's what M. Scott Peck called pseudo community. And Matt, I could not agree more. I literally taught on this yesterday in my, or my, I don't know what, when this airs, we're recording this on a Monday morning, but you can edit that out. I'm so sorry. The timeless, the timeless internet. We just have to put this out today now. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I taught on uh, deconstruction and yeah. just all the facets of that. Give my best take on why we're living through a generation-wide moment of deconstruction where so many Gen X millennials are just abandoning anything that even resembles Orthodox faith or faith in general. And I said the same thing. It almost mm-hmm. always starts with an emotional wound. Mm-hmm. And I, it got me thinking about, um, I was chatting to, this is, this is kind of a random aside, but it's, I, it has to do with what, exactly what you're saying. This is my way of agreeing with you. But um, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great start over, to anything. <laughs> over talking is my way of agreeing with you. But I was talking to an expert on deliverance, as in mm-hmm. like demonic deliverance, as we were dealing um, no, like real life, <laughs> full on stuff. We were dealing with wow. uh, exorcism that we had oh, to wow. do a few few months ago, and it you was all a very, had to do. Yes, and it was very. Wow. It's, it's a long. It's a long story, but it was very intense, and we've been experiencing like just an extraordinary kind of manifestation of the demonic in our church and life and family, and it was a lot. That's a separate conversation, but. In consulting with this expert before I went into this exorcism kind of prayer day, 
one of the things he said that was really profound is that, um, and I've read this from other experts in that same field, that emotional wounds often are the portals for the demonic into our life. Jeez Louise. Hmm. And he called it double trauma. So you have the original trauma of fill in the blank, um, abuse, assault, death, bereavement, the trauma of having a bad church experience, mm, right. of being wounded by a spiritual leader, of mm-hmm. your pastor having a moral failing. This is all a kind of trauma. It's an emotional hurt, a wound. And then often, if those are not healed through loving community, truth, all the discipleship stuff, if they're left to fester, they often become the portal for the demonic in your life. And again, I'm not talking about like demon possession kind of yeah. thing where some person's foaming out the mouth. It could just be the portal for, for I mean, in this is not how Western Christians think, but in most of church history, for sure in the desert tradition, the Eastern tradition, in the Gospels, for sure in Paul, for sure in the Gospel writers, the primary example of the demonic is lies that come into our mind hmm. about God, about ourselves, about life. That's the primary example before all the other demonic stuff that probably comes into our mind when we think of deliverance or Mm, we're imagining like all the Mm. crazy stuff from a poltergeist movie. And that's all true. But you look at look at Jesus primary interaction with the devil. It's Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. He's in the desert. It's a conversation between Jesus and the desert about truth and lies Mm -hmm. going on, most likely in the inner dialogue of Jesus mind. And he's having to resist the perversion and warping of truth and even the warping of scripture by setting his mind on truth and trusting Mm -hmm. in God. Mm -hmm. So they would say that Jesus in the desert in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, that's our primary template for demonic manifestation. Jesus in his most in-depth teaching on the devil called the devil the father of lies and said when he lies, he speaks his native language. So all that to say, I think that often emotional wounds, major or minor, and often we receive, there's no way to live in church and not receive emotional wounds from other Christians. It's going to happen at some point. Mm -hmm. Those often become the portals for demonic lies that pervert and warp our faith and often drag us away from Mm -hmm. a trusting, loving relationship with Jesus. Well, I think think that you, it requires a uh, self-awareness that, yeah. you know, I have a million reasons why I would recommend this book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But maybe, maybe first and foremost is like, there's all kinds of stats in here. And I wrote down all these stats that you put in the book that blew my mind. Like, uh, you know, the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 <laughs> times a day. Is that insane? That's I, average. That's not, it's higher for millennials. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, but my point is, I, I feel like it's so helpful for me. And I just, I finished this book maybe a couple of weeks ago. And it has sort of, um, it has sort of flipped the mirror back on myself a little bit and allowed me to see the water that I'm swimming in every day. Yes. And um, has allowed me to sort of see, like, you know, I have some awareness of some of the lies that are in in my head and some of the battles that I fight. And mm-hmm. maybe five, ten years ago, I didn't even know that some of these directions I were, was taking, I was at crossroads the whole time, you know. 
Yes. So I'm slowly peeling that stuff back and realizing it's a slow process of realizing, okay, here are some of the lies that are in my head. Mm-hmm. And oh, here's sort of the source of where they come from. And I think it requires, um, again, my number one reason to, to recommend this book is like, even if you're not a believer, even if you're wherever you're coming from, read this book and take some of the practices away and you you will begin to see some of you know the true layers of yourself and yeah. then that's the only way that you're going to be able to then move forward you know yeah yeah you know that makes me think of a stat that's not in the book because it came out after i wrote the book but so last year, Barna did that like most extensive research of 26 different countries of basically me- millennial Christian faith, the state of millennial Christian faith. And one really interesting stat was that the average millennial, and this would be higher for Gen Z, consumes 3,000 hours of digital content a year, and only a hundred. And this, this is and this was a measurement for Christian millennials. Uh-huh. Only 150 of the 3,000 is Christian content. Wow. Now, I'm not saying we just need to listen to more Christian podcasts and that's the answer. But if your ratio of secular input to Jesus truth input is 20 to 1, right. That is a problem. Yeah. Like that yeah. there's no way that's not going to warp your faith and your well, you view know, of God and yourself and the world. You said something, and this is something that I think is so fascinating about your story that you, that you lead off with in Hurry and you actually reference in Garden City is – I don't know if you remember that about your own books, but I thought I'd remind you. <laughs> I, um, I don't. To clarify, I don't go back and read my own books. I don't. I don't like, oh, this is great. Either. I'm taking notes and highlighting. Um, <laughs> God, that's good. Who was that? That was me? Uh, oh, my God. It must be the spirit. Um but but I think something that's so unique and really profound about your story, and it has to do with everything we've talked about, because it has to do with um, one. You know, when I read um, "Falling Upward," which is such a seminal book on this idea, as is "Halftime." You know, these books mm-hmm. that are about this kind of two, the first part of life, the second half of life. Yes. Um, and and you spoke to sort of up and right. You know, but your story is so fascinating to me, and I'm always enamored with people that go small. That like, no, I'm going mm-hmm. small here. I, I can go big or I can go small and go small. And I think um, to your point, one of the other things that I think is really fascinating that I'm, I am I, I would pay you a million dollars because you could do this because you're smart enough. But hear someone really eloquently speak on – it could be a war between you and Malcolm Gladwell. But like is how success to me is just, a much, just as much of a trampoline into that same dilemma is how you know it can be tragedy. It can be – uh, loss, but it also success is this really to me it's the most backdoor of all of them because it seems so good, and yeah. you go through it and then you're suddenly on the other side of this thing is it's Solomon's quest. It's what he warned us about. He tried to shot call this years ago and nobody we still don't pay attention. But you know that that he that that we go wow I, I'm through this thing now and it's not giving me this stuff. It's not right. doing the thing right. And, and so I think. You have to, it's exactly what John was saying. You know, you have to have this self awareness, but the world is always going to go big, 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 go big, go big, big. Right. And so it's, I love this about your story that you went, I did the mega church thing. It was, and, and I think everybody that would have any sense would look from the sidelines is going, look at, 
JMC's crushing it. It's happening. But you had to have this moment. Everybody of, except for my wife and well, kids. Touche, touche. Those like, ex- he's <laughs> exhausted and Where's not dad? present and grouchy and irritable <laughs> yes. all of the time. Right, right. But I think like you had to go through this catharsis moment to go, you know, one, I'm not thriving. This is not. But two, you have to know yourself. You have to go, yeah. this doesn't fit with what. And so I'm always fascinated by this thing that the world sort of goes, hey, you owe us these things. You got that gift, give it to us. But then yeah. God has this weird way of going like, no, here's actually what I need you to do. And the, and the collision of those things is fascinating to me, you know, and how people mm-hmm. navigate that, I think, as parents, how we navigate that, what calling looks like, what you talk so much about in Garden City. But it's a, I love seeing that in you because I always think that is one of the, I think as a believer, it's one of the most profound and loudest ways we can speak into the culture is to go, you talk about this with Sabbath, you know, to fight against the tide, to go, I'm not going bigger, I'm going smaller, I'm going more intentional, I'm yeah. going more focused, you know, especially when you have a gift, like when God has obviously given you a really substantial gift to go my iteration of this gift is not as big as the world iterates it. Yeah. That's yeah. so fascinating to me. Like, how, how, how did you land? Like, I know a lot of that was hard, but that had to be really hard. I'm sure people in your life were like, dude, what are you doing? You know? Oh, people told me I was turning my back on God's call in my life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I yes. felt, yeah, and I felt like all my most important days were all behind me and I would mm. just kind of manage mediocrity until I died. <laughs> Honestly, would those you, were, would those you write a book called managing mediocrity? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I got to it how most of us get to it through pain, through the failure of success yeah. and the hidden God, failure that comes from, that comes from success. And, and for, um, the, for those who don't know the, the scenario we're referring to here, you, you were, preaching like six sermons a, a, a week or a weekend, right? You got, you're just crushing it. And then you decided you went to your church and you said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do one campus. I'm preaching, you know, to one campus a week. I'm going to yep. really scale down and be like the, uh, teaching pastor, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Just yeah. to give people yeah. a reference. Yeah. Yeah. We planted a church. It grew really fast. It was really big. i was a disaster emotionally and relation and relationally. There's no, there's no like scandal per se. There's yeah, nothing yeah, like, you know, yeah, some right. big secret that came out or something, but um, I was just really, but you uh, just knew immature. I know. Yeah. I mean, it it was a really sobering moment where I realized you, I could be a success as mm. a mega church pastor and this, mm. with a couple asterisks there and a, and a failure as a disciple of Jesus and a human being. Wow. Mm. A, a failure. And I, I look, you know, you get to a certain age. There's this cool thing that's like when you're in your 20s, you feel your your human nature feels really like plastic and pliable. Like through your 20s, you're asking the question, like, who will I become? Like I used to play music and the author <laughs> thing is like a little bit similar in that you're trying to make it. Yeah, you know right and so you're sitting around like you probably all have friends that are your age that are like still trying to make it and you're like yeah. bro you didn't make it it's okay <laughs> be a mechanic be a pastor yeah. be a plumber it's yeah. okay you're you're not going to be the next bono or whatever you know 
but there's that sense of like you're waiting around for the i remember waiting around for toby mckeon for goatee records to call would he call me and he oh, eventually man. did but i remember like <laughs> literally waiting by my first cell phone i ever had my sprint cell phone like anytime a phone number would come that i didn't recognize i'd pick it right up is this toby mckeon is this is this goatee records please bs i was like no this is uh, this is an infomercial or whatever you know but there, i don't even know what i'm saying anymore but there's this sense of kind of waiting around for success to happen hmm. and you don't you don't realize how how you don't realize how traumatic much of that is and so anyway all that to say in your 20s you have the sense of who will i become i'm plastic this anything could happen mm -hmm. but that what 20 somethings don't realize is that feeling goes away <laughs> and it is replaced by like dang this is who i became <laughs> <laughs> seriously and I don't mean, and I have a high horizon of possibility for spiritual formation. And at a character level, I still think the best is, you know, I'm really hopeful for who I'll become in my 60s and 70s over the long haul of, you know, what Peterson called the long obedience in the same direction. Mm -hmm. But by my 30, kind of by 30, early 30s, I had enough time under my belt that I could then, I could then chart the kind of trajectory of my character arc. And mm -hmm. I could imagine myself at that point at 40, 50, 60, 70, and who I imagined myself to be based on data points of the last 30 years was really sobering mm -hmm. because I saw somebody that was still an Orthodox Christian and faithful to his wife at a sexual level. But mm -hmm. after that, I saw an unhappy marriage, an irritable, um, unhappy person some a leader who was obsessed with power and not aware of his shadow side, kids that probably wanted nothing to do with the church because church was dad's mm. mistress in a sense. You know what I mean? That was who dad had an affair with. He was sexually right. faithful to his wife, but he just worked all the time, tried to find his identity and meaning and sense and success as a pastor, author, whatever. Mm. And I just saw my, like, it just looked like an empty, hollow, who wants that, you know? Mm. And so it was a really sobering moment. Stephen Covey, uh, has that famous exercise that really every man, every person should do at some point where he has you write your eulogy in advance. Have you heard about this? He has mm -hmm. you sit down and you write the eulogy that you would want said at your funeral. Mm -hmm. and, and then you work backwards, backwards. from there. Yeah. Like if that's what I want, you know, David Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, which is a great book, by mm -hmm. the way, has um, in his other his newest book since then is even better the second mountain but in the intro to road to character he talks about what he calls resume virtues versus eulogy virtues and he talks about wow. how our culture is all built around resume virtues like okay cool so dave like you're a singer songwriter how many records have you sold how successful are you how much money do you have where do you live what's your family what's your thing what do you drive like all the resume stuff but when we die nobody freaking cares mm. and we don't care what matters is who we became and the people we became that person with. It's mm -hmm. what, you know, two authors I love call our relational soul, right? Mm -hmm. That's all that will last into eternity is who we have become through our discipleship to Jesus and the relationships we have forged along the spiritual path. That is what will be here 
10,000 years from now. Not mm. any of this. Who cares if my book sells a lot of copies or no copies, if people like me or hate me, if my church is this size or that. Just none of that even matters, you know? Mm -hmm. So all that to say that there's something, I had that, that existential, like I feel like I had an early midlife crisis. And I realized, man, I'm on a trajectory based on Western up and to the right what resume virtues, mm. not on eulogy virtual, vir virtues, character, way of Jesus, relationships, what, who am I as a husband, as a father? And that's not to say that now, you know, however many years later, I have it all down and I'm never tired and I'm always unhurried and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like the walking Jesus Zen awesome guy. You know, yeah. you're not, like the Christian, the dude. Yeah. You're the I'm big not, Lebowski, but the Christian version. I am not, you know, David Brooks says you have to write yourself into a better life. And so that's why I wrote that book and it, it didn't solve all my problems. It turns out it's still hard to slow down and live inside your limits and be present. Johnny, I don't want to come in too hot, but I feel like these, um, these conversations are amazing. Yeah. You don't want to be braggy. Yeah. But yet, at the same time, you want to tell the truth because they are amazing. <laughs> well, when you're only 33% of it, you can say that because That's true. the greater part of it is not your contribution. Right. It's not, Guys, it's not us. <laughs> While at the same time, it, it is. totally is. <laughs> it is us. <laughs> and let me remind you guys, if you like what you hear, these conversations are longer and much more encompassing in the original episodes. Uh, you know, these are just little clips we pulled out. So if you want to hear more from Tyler Hubbard, John Mark Comer, JMC meal or our next amazing conversation with drew holcomb they're all available in dot in the dad or the dodville <laughs> which is dodville dodville hello sir dodville <laughs> in the dadville podcast feed and as a reminder next week will be another greatest hits episode oh. and even more of our favorite conversations yeah so we'll see you back on August 17th with an exciting new episode of Dadville. Yeah, even though they're all exciting. Um, so what we're going to do is end this episode strong and with our great friend Drew Holcomb, who we both love. Now, was this, was this our very first uh, interview that we ever did? Was Am it? I remembering that correctly? I think either Tyler or Tomlin was, weren't they? Well, those were the first two that came, out, came but out. I feel like we, uh, Drew was our very first one. Was he? Yeah, he would have been so. a really gentle way to start yeah because he's a good friend and very forgiving um he and, and to your point john he stopped by really early on in our podcast life and we had such a fun and amazing conversation i could tell you about it or guess what you could do you, you just, just listen. keep listening yeah so sit back and enjoy our conversation with drew Hope. all right so let's let's start with some background I yep. was, probably everyone listening knows who you are but let's let's just quickly go over some background so where are you from memphis tennessee childhood what were you like as a kid, pre uh, losing your hair? Back when, when <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in a um, in a very large, extended family. I grew up down the street from my grandparents. Uh, I'm one of four siblings. There's 28 grandkids on Good my oh my gracious. on my mom's side, and, and um, on your mom's side, on my mom's side, and another uh, another eight on my dad's side. And everyone was there uh, in Memphis. No, no. So the, that was what I was going to say. So uh, every, all but four of those grandkids were uh, either in Memphis or Jackson, Tennessee, which is only 80 miles away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, some of them, I was, I'm the dead, I'm number 14, so the dead center grandchild. Oh, wow. So okay. uh, some of them were already so 14 up, up older than grown. you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So As old as how old? Uh, let's see, um, 51 now, so okay. uh, 15 okay. years older than me. Okay. No, no, sorry, he's 50, 55. 
Yeah, that's right. My, the oldest is 55. So there were there were some that were sort of out of the picture, but there were four um, four of us that were the same four guys born the same year from each each oh, of the wow. families. So grew up in this very sort of boisterous world of uh, family and uh, <laughs> yes, that's right, literally uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of family, a lot of uh, you know your standard sort of suburban upbringing. My parents are uh, amazing people. I've had a very uh, they are. I want to confirm that. Like, yeah. They are wonderful. They're, they're fantastic. Um, and some of that was sort of born in fire of uh, a younger brother who's special needs. Um, Spina bifida was in a wheelchair. Um, so we traveled a lot. That was a big part of our childhood. My dad loved to travel. He was a dentist, and then he got bored with that and became a financial advisor, <laughs> which is, is a, so amazing. But th- that sort of moment also taught me like risk and like mm. you know, oh wow, a lot of, yeah, lot of things. Uh, How so. old was he when he changed? Well, he, he, it was sort of a process. So he was a dentist, and a friend of his said, hey, I'm starting this financial services company. Will you come work on Fridays and help introduce me to people? And that Fridays became Wednesday afternoons and Fridays, and then it became Wednesdays and Fridays. Oh, and that's Tuesdays. hysterical. And the next thing you know, he's like, I like this more, and I'm, I'm quitting dentistry. Which, so that which was probably like 15 when he actually stopped, but he yeah. started doing that part-time when I was probably seven. So it was like an eight-year process of completely walking away from yeah, a lot of school and a lot of – As a dude – as a dad, as a as a you know a provider, or trying to provide, right, right. <laughs> hopeful. For, there are a few things that fascinate me more in life than men, well into their lives, kids, change occupations. Yeah, because it's just like that's not the script in America. No, it's yeah. not. And it was really interesting too, because uh, he, yeah, he you know he sort of had a set of friends that were all dentists that they had gone to dental school together and and they were uh you know there was just like a lot of like confusion like well you don't just walk away from yeah, right. this and he's like well i don't like it so yeah I'm right gonna, i'm gonna that's how i feel about musicians who now do something else like now they're, they're a realtor or something like that yeah like, well you can't you just leave you can't right. leave you right what does that mean for me <laughs> should yeah, i leave the self-reflection goes oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i leave boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> do you remember how you felt Watching him do that because it happened, like I said, over over time. Yeah. When I would go see my dad at the office, I like knew what day it was, and it was like, oh, he's at the dental office today. Oh wow! Or it was just my normal. Yeah. Was this sort of dual? Yeah. Track, you know, it wasn't like a a, a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared, dad's. But there was certainly like a when, there was one kind of definitive moment. He's like when he let his dental license expire, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And he's like, yep. For sure, That's this, it. Is, this is gone. Have you, know? you guys talked about it now? And like, has he been like, yeah, that was a really stressful time for me? Uh, yeah, it was actually, I think um, they're both sort of entrepreneurial jobs, though, that, you, yeah. you know, you, you kind of work off of residual work, you know, because right. if you're a dentist, you have clients that come to you all the time. And if you're a financial advisor, you have clients whose, you know, money you manage over time. And so they're both very relational. The difference is one is like you're, it's a one way street where you're, you're talking to the person there. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> and they can't talk back and then to you. Dentistry. Hey, hey. Oh, come on. <laughs> but that was the thing. He, he, you know, the reason he, the relational side of it, he just, he didn't like not being able to have conversations yeah, with. I oh, can't yeah, imagine. So, so that's why he, he walked away from it. But from my point of view, I was worried about like whether I was going to make the baseball team. Yeah, right. It was like this is just what dad does. Yeah, you know. And they had a pretty, they had a, they had a very sort of stable marriage. And the things that I took away more were like my dad did this one, or my parents did this one amazing thing. At least every six weeks of my entire childhood, they would leave overnight, just the two of them. Wow. Oh, that's and cool. it was either a, like a weekend trip or a couple's trip or what we'd come and find out later. They were like most of the time, they were going to the embassy suites down the street. 
your parents are the best. So part of it was with my brother with special needs. My mom was exhausted yeah. all the time. And so it was a way for him to give her like, hey, let's go to dinner, go to bed at nine o'clock. You can sleep till nine, get up and read your Bible and do your thing. And, you know, I'll go to work and then you can. And it was just like, for me, what it told me was like, okay, this is a really important thing yeah. to them. They're going to, it's not like, we didn't have a kid centric home. Wow. We had a sort of uh, re- relationship centric home, if that difference makes any sense. So their relationship was sort of, uh, the primary nexus of our home. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Which, you know, what's so fascinating about that too, is that my temptation would be you lean in harder toward the, toward the kid. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels like, no, you have to double like no nights off. Cause this is what they need. And it's so profound to me that your parents be like, no. Well, independence was a huge thing for my dad, for us. He was like, you will take care of your, you will learn to take care of yourself. Wow. And he also used to say two two things kind of related to that. One, whenever I was in trouble, he would say, don't you forget that I love your mother more than you. Wow. <laughs> and I was, usually when I was being sarcastic to her right, or like right, talking back, right. teenage years, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 don't you forget, son. <laughs> and then he'd say, you know, kind of later, it's like, hey, I've got, I'm only going to be with you guys, you know, for like 18 years. I'm going to be with your mother for 60. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. That, like that's a important. Which is a kid, true. I would imagine. Just the most stable of foundations. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it felt. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any fears about you know their the survival of their relationship. Zero, no fears. That's so, amazing. but do you remember how you reacted to that when your dad would say that? Just remember. Yes, oh. my reaction was uh, obedience and be sweet to mom because if you're not, the hammer's going <laughs> to drop. <laughs> yeah, you know, the hammer will drop. You know, I mean, there that was it was just the ni- the eighties and nineties, like discipline, and especially in the, in sort of a Christian home, was a big thing. And so, yeah. yeah, there was like there was certainly a the classic like, I'll tell your father when he gets home, and you're just like, oh, dang it, oh yeah, this oh, is the, the ultimate, the ultimate, the ultimate, yeah, and it was real. And so, your mom was she home? Yeah, she was with home. you guys. She also. was a dental hygienist when I when up until my sister was born, my older sister, and then became a stay-at-home mom, and then especially with my brother, you know, taking care of him was definitely a full-time occupation. When did he pastor? Uh, 99, so the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. What was that like? Uh, I mean, it was it was totally devastating. It was a surprise. I was actually out of the country. I was, no way. Yeah, I was in the Dominican Republic on a summer missions trip language immersion thing with my cousin, one of the four that was the same age as me. Jay had... Uh, you know, he was 13. He had, he had always had lots of health issues. He had 29, you know, major surgeries, major being defined by anesthesia, you know. So a year before he died, he had this sort of reconstructive surgery on the back of his skull. Basically, there was a development issue where his brain was growing faster than his skull. So there was pressure, which was causing seizures. And they think his death was related to that. But it was still, it was it was a total surprise. I talked to him two nights before on the phone. We had guests at the house the night he died. My, my aunt and uncle and family were there. And... Um, I got a phone call the next morning from my mom, um, just weeping, you know, you need to come home. Your, your brother passed away last night. It was just like, no, like no, no warning shot. No, nothing. So, I mean, devastation was the, was sort of the the only word way to describe it. What it did do for the relationships in the family, like it made my sister and I, my brother and I, my sister, my brother, the other, the three remaining children. I mean, we are just thick as thieves, you know, um, when you walk through that sort of, uh, pain and, and sorrow. And it was interesting too, watching my parents sort of dealt with his life and his, and his death in different ways. And 
I think for my dad, more than there was like a very noticeable sort of um, thing that happened in him. Before Jay died, he sort of had this like, you know, grab life by the horns and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this and beat this and discipline and, you know, order. And, and, and after his death, he became a much more tender and patient man. And, and I, you know, took notes from that a lot, especially as it relates to, you know, both in their marriage and, and, and as a, watching him as a dad. Was there any script that y'all were given from the doctors about his lifespan? Was there any like was there conversations among y'all as a family? That were no, not about? not really. I mean, the, it can it can be anything like what happened with him, um, or like the girl. There was a there was another family that had a spina bifida baby the same day in the hospital that we ended up kind of doing some life with, and so she's still alive. Really? Yeah. And she so she's thirty three. So there's no, and, and her situation was not really that much like m- milder than Jay's, um, at least as as young young children. So there was no, I mean, the day he was born, some of the doctors said he wouldn't live the week, you know, well, and other yeah. doctors said, you know, again, this is 1986, you know, 1985, and so medicines, you know, changed a lot. And um, so, it again, I was three, so I don't have any. I don't really have memories pre Jay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. So, amazing. So just, it's just, that it's was just, normal. It was my normal. That's insane. This may be a dumb question, but is that something that's still a part of y'all's? Like, h- how is he still a part of y'all's family? Well, the, the most like fun recent memory. So my dad, you know, uh, Memphis, like sort of, you know, upper middle class Dennis family. You know, it's like dad. We weren't even allowed to wear T-shirts in public. It was like, you know, <laughs> oh my god. Collared shirts, you know, you don't wear flip flops unless you're at the beach, you know, like <laughs> which sounds like a direct when quote. you when you when you uh you know when you go on an airplane you you tuck your shirt in and you wear I a belt and that you know you have your socks on, wow. so something like Thank a tattoo. Thank you for wearing close toed shoes. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I thought I'd wear my flip flops, but I thought maybe we'll go on a flight today. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so tattoos were like, or ear piercings, or long hair. Oh, yeah, that's not a just, part of the yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah. So as I became a musician, I started sort of adopting some sort of <laughs> countercultural, <laughs> you know, point of views, and started wearing, you know, black collared shirts. Yeah, you know, flip flops, flip flops for days. Uh, you know, drinking beer. You know, some of these. I mean, some of these things were like big family conversations yeah, right, at right, the time. Right. You know. I got a tattoo when I was like 25 and it, you know, they were, my, they were cool about it by this point, but it was also like, they were not down with it, but right, they were like, right. you're an adult. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Right. You're, you're, yeah. you manage your own life. So jokingly, my, my other younger brother also has a couple of tattoos and has had a, a very different journey than I have uh, in life. And it's taken him through some, some highs and lows, but we're still very close. But so he, he, he got tattoos even younger than I did. So we were like, um, trying to talk my dad into getting a tattoo <laughs> which i love and it was literally like yeah right when hell freezes over right. hamp holcomb's gonna get a tattoo right, 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 this right. guy wore a, a suit to work when he was a dentist <laughs> i love that i mean he's like i would rather wear flip-flops on an airplane yeah. oh my god yeah i mean he cleans his fingernails every morning oh he brushes I love his that hair so much what hair he has you know so it's like He's he's a very meticulous, clean oriented. I mean, when we were in hotels, he won't go barefoot. Oh, I love that. You know, just like got his things. He's very quirky in that way. So uh, he's gonna love listening to this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah. I'm definitely gonna send it to him. So we we were joking, like, you should get a tattoo, you should get a tattoo, and he's like, no, 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 no. And finally, like after two years of us doing it, he, we just so we sort of let it. Yeah, we dropped it. Yeah. Know? And then three years ago, 
uh, six months before what would have been Jay's 30th birthday, uh, Dad says, hey, um, why don't you and Sam and I on Jay's 30th birthday go get go get a Jay tattoo? And Sam and I looked at each other like, <laughs> holy cow. Th- that, what? He said, yeah, I found this uh, I found this note that we have with Jay's handwriting in his own, oh his own thing. So we all went yeah. down the same, Dude, on, right, the same spot right here. about it. On our left uh, that forearm. That is so cool. Uh, it was that was that was like, you know, just a practical thing oh, that, that, that. that happened. And um, isn't it cool too? I mean, like seeing your dad, who has been again. You kind of know he's got a groove. He's got a thing. You know, yep. he's got his little spot in the sitcom that yep. you know what oh, he's going to do when he opens the door for sure. Comes, you know. And to see your parents as they get older change. I know with me, with my parents, like I'm like, it's good for me to see that. Because I'm like, yeah. okay, we can adapt. We can. Yeah. And then there's also things you go, oh, my gosh, I do that same thing. <laughs> and this is what it looks like amplified by 30 years. Right, that's right. This is where I'm headed. Yeah, that's exactly This is my trajectory. Yeah. 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 Uh, how do I, like, navigate the fact that that annoys me? And I know that I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah. You know? So you grow up in Memphis in this great family. I mean, you know, the Holcombs are wonderful people they're just good salt of the earth people i love yeah. your mom and dad uh, they're, your mom they're is both like truth tellers as well like oh yeah yeah and your mom like i don't know that she may be like one of my biggest fans at least she makes me oh feel she that laughs way. so hard <laughs> and it's not the you. music like she's like i can't sit I next to her your show instagram yeah and i'm t- i mean just give me give me a hug i mean she's just <laughs> she's always like laughing about that stuff so you go obviously great great home in memphis uh, you go to UT. Yep. So where are you in your journey in life at UT? Like what's happening then for you? Yeah. So in high school, my sort of interest, uh, sort of centered around, um, music, uh, history and studying, like I actually loved school growing up, specifically history and English lit. So I was, I was a reader. So I love to read. I love to make music. And then I was into sort of like individual sports. So like Rock climbing, skiing, yeah, all those kind of things. So college for me was like uh, basically those three things with a bunch of new people. Yeah, you know. Yep. The deeper part was this thing with my brother was only a year old and like gr- learning about grieving and you know figuring out like whether or not the faith of my childhood is the faith of my adulthood and you know that journey which we all sort of take at some point. So I was you know I was studying as hard as I could and playing as hard as I could. So you were, of, so you, what were did, you were a student, like you went to. College. Oh yeah, I went to college yeah. to, to like get after, and with the, with the anticipation, honestly, my my goal. If you told me at eighteen what it, what is Drew going to do with his life, I'd be like, I'm going to be writing history books and a professor somewhere. That's amazing. In ten years. Yeah. So That's, where? So music was just a hobby. Music that was, was just a hobby. Something you would do. Yeah. When you got and home. I played music at Young Life in high school, and then RUF in college, and so I, I had a a proficiency. Yeah, as a guitar player and like a, a mild proficiency as a singer, but I had a lot of like uh, always always had a lot of um, confidence. You know, it's like Enneagram on the eight. So it's like, oh, yeah. dare me to get up there and do something. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah count on it. You know, <laughs> and, and add a little you, extra. Were you, you know? writing songs at that? No, point? so that, so I didn't start writing songs until my junior year of high school. I'm sorry, junior year of college. Oh wow. Uh, I went to, I did a study abroad program six months in Edinburgh, and I didn't really know anyone there. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't lonely, but I was alone. Mm. So sort of a, a, you know, it was like, okay, what do I want to do with this time that I have here? That's like a way for, it's kind of took the, that time is like a break from the, the extroverted life of Knoxville and Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. And all the people that kind of came along with that. So I started writing songs over there. 
and it really came out of like in college i fell in love with music in a, in a new way i mean in high school i was a big fan of uh you know radiohead to david gray and uh, like all the sort of you know pearl jam and all this kind of stuff but i wasn't like i didn't want to be in a band yeah you know? yeah but then i heard david gray and then i heard patty griffin and ryan adams and which took me down like sort of the springsteen dylan and i found in the in that music uh like i found the voice of my grief with my wow. brother and Jeez. and then also sort of another thing about eights you know or, or just my personality is that like i see the world and it's sort of sorrow and tragedy and and i can sit in that and and but i also kind of want to like see it change and so music was a way that sort of i felt like it was telling me things that i wasn't finding in um Wow! You know, anywhere else, the expressions and stories. And so song. while you're there, this is you're kind of going, whoa. Yeah. Is... Well, that was sort of that. That my fandom was kind of percolating all throughout college, but then when it, in Edinburgh, I was like, well, I want to give it a try. Oh wow! You know. And in the meantime, I was I was actually writing my senior thesis at UT, which was about my brother. Oh wow! And so I was I was doing a deep dive into the whole story. I did like forty interviews with everybody that was really close to him, doc, like from like doctors, caretakers friends from high school going what to was like, the thesis it was about oral it's an oral history so about like the the impact of a single individual's life on a community holy cow wow. and so it, there was a lot of healing i mean i literally would like go hang out all day my senior fall with friends and then go back to my uh my apartment and listen to these tapes and transcribe stuff and just weep i mean you know <laughs> which i never actually did before that so it's you know yeah. four or five years removed from from his death was actually the way I really, I really grieved it. And so that's, I was also that fall was when I'd come back from Edinburgh and had started, I'd written all these songs. I didn't know what to do with them. And so I started play, I started booking shows. So my, while writing that thesis, my last semester of college, I started playing shows in Knoxville and it was all friends at first coming out. But some of them were like, Hey, like this is good. Yeah. You should maybe yeah. try this. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, I'm applying to graduate schools for history and theology at the same time. At the same time. So you, so you, I, I'm never at this point thinking yeah. that music is my yeah. future. Because you wouldn't have been applying if, if no. so. Yeah. No, it was just a diversion. Yeah. It was a, it was, it was a hobby. I was like, oh, this yeah. is cool. This is, it yeah. feels good to do this. Yeah, I like this. And, and my parents were very supportive. They were like, hey, my dad actually said this thing about college I've taken with me. He's like, you don't go to college to like learn a, a, a trade. He said, go to college and learn how to learn, and then you can do anything. Wow. Jeez, we should end it here. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What a good word. Yeah, it's a good word. <laughs>